Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church is located in Keller, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, let's prepare our hearts for this week's message. Today we're launching a series of talks called Land of Delight. Land of Delight. I've been so excited about this series of messages and I'm in an unlikely book of the Bible. We're in an unlikely place. How many of y'all for your devotion on your refrigerator, you've got a, a scripture from Malachi? Yeah, I didn't think there'd be many hands raised on that one. But actually the book of Malachi is pretty, pretty fun reading. Book of Malachi is a series of conversations between God and the people of Israel And honestly, they're kind of going back and forth like a teenage daughter or son kind of rebelliously kind of bowing up to their parents, kind of giving a little attitude. That's the people of Israel in Malachi. God will say something. They'll say, well, how did we do that? Come on, come on, dad. That's Malachi. So for fun reading, I truly do encourage you to read it. Um, It's pretty intense, it's pretty bold, and God is a straightforward God, and Malachi's, in my view, now I love the Bible, but in my view, Malachi's a really fun book to read. We're gonna hone in on Malachi chapter three in this series, and particularly Malachi chapter three, verse 11, or Malachi chapter three in the latter part of the chapter, but I wanna take you to verse 11. This is the heartbeat of this series. This is the zip code. It might be really helpful for you in this season to actually memorize Malachi chapter three, verse 11. I might challenge you to do that, to really commit it to memory because there may be a point in your life. Here's the key to scripture memory. Scripture memory is, it's like concealed carry. I bet you've never heard a pastor say that, right? (laughs) It might give you a little clue as to who I am, but, um, But it's like, it's when you need it, you got it. You know what I'm saying? When you need it, it's there. You don't have to run somewhere and figure it out. It's there. And this is a great scripture to remind yourself of when you, your obedience is being challenged. Malachi chapter three, verse 11, it says, I, this is God speaking. I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will rebuke the devourer. Listen to that language. Just stop right there. Let's just, let's have fun with scripture. The devourer. I think of like this wolf that wants to take you out. The devourer. You are the prey. There is a strategy against you. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of of the unseen world of darkness that there is an enemy who is waking up and thinking of strategies to enact against you so that you may be devoured. There is hunger against you. There is a desire to see you fall. And God says, I will rebuke. I will give the Heisman. I will chase away. I'm the one in the video meme that you're watching on Instagram where you see that the, the animal's out there and it's the hyena surrounded by the lions or the lion surrounded by the hyenas and then there's this one big lion that comes and chases them all away. I will rebuke the devourer. I will chase off the devourer. When I show up, he runs. That's good stuff. I will rebuke 
the devourer for you. Memorize that. God, you say you will rebuke the devourer for me. You will rebuke the devourer of my money for me. You will rebuke the devourer of my mental health for me. You will rebuke the devourer of my emotional well-being for me. You will rebuke my depression. You will rebuke those enemies against me. You will rebuke the devourer for me. Am I ever going to get beyond this phrase right here today? It'll preach so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Now we're thinking locusts, those threats to a good harvest. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. There it is. All the nations will call you blessed. My blessing, when it is on you, people can't help but see it. When God's blessing is on you, people can't help but see it. But it's not a fake thing. You know, we look blessed sometimes, but deep inside, we are crumbling. It's not a fake thing. He says, all the nations will call you blessed, and then for you, they will call you blessed because you are, for you will be a land of delight. Does anybody want their marriage to be described by God who knows that your marriage is a land of delight? Does anybody want your, your career and the way you approach your work, right? The way you approach your work, the way you discipline yourself, your patterns of discipline, your patterns of work, that they would say, those that see the way you work when no one's looking, that that, that God would say, your work, your career, your dominion is a land of delight. That the way that you lead your children, I mean shepherding them in conversations that no one knows, that they would say of you, it is a land of delight. I had a, uh, we've, we've had a tragedy here at Keystone the last week. Some of, many of you don't know, one of our wonderful young men tragically went to be with the Lord. He's a father, three kids, and uh, leaves behind a, a wonderful wife. And, you know, in those moments, it's just so tragic, so soon, 43 years old. And on this stage, on this stage, I heard, his son, 19 years old. I heard his son speak and I heard stories of him. I knew, I knew him uh, well, knew, know the family well. And I heard how this big giant of a man, giant, giant, big guy, big giant of a man that where nobody was looking, his family stood on a stage and said of him, he was a land of delight. the people that walked with them. Not the show, not showing up at church and I'm gonna raise my hand and I'm gonna smile, amen, God bless you and then be mean at the devil, mean as the devil at home. No, no. They said of him, he would sit around the table, land of delight. Talk to us about Jesus, land of delight. This giant, gentle, giant, he was a land of delight. The one who knows you well what if he could say of you, you are a land of delight? Here's a key. You don't create yourself into a land of delight. Frankly, sometimes when you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, 
your work of making yourself a land of delight can sometimes self-sabotage. Sometimes in trying to fix things, you break other things, right? So I love how God says, I will make you into a land of delight. This is the work I'm going to do in you. Something's not right inside of you. Something's broken inside of you. Let me work. Let me do my work. And I will make you a land of delight. Maybe you're already ready for prayer time at the end of the service because you know your land has been nothing like a land of delight. And you've come here today saying, God, would you help me? Well, you're in the right room because you're in a room full of people that you may think have got it all together, but understand we're all praying the same prayer. God, would you mend the broken areas? This pastor on this stage right here, I've got my hand up in the air saying, God, I need you to do more work in me to make me a land of delight. Is there anybody out there that would raise your hand and say today, God, I need you to make me into a land of delight. I cannot make it myself. Yeah, I cannot do this myself. It's hard to clap with one hand in the air, isn't it? It is. So the title of today's message is Land of Delight. Here's what I, I'm blown away by what God is doing is he, he is giving us a vision of blessing. And this is the message next week. Next week, I'm going to really dive into blessing and curses, how God blesses and the difference between living blessed or cursed. And, and, and I really think it's important for us to hear that. We're going to talk very, very specifically about being under the umbrella of blessing or outside of it, outside of the umbrella of blessing and being exposed to a, a life that's cursed. So we're going to do that. But he casts a vision. Isn't that great? God here is casting a vision for you. And this is not an optimistic vision that you may never reach. He is making a promise of blessing to you. This is a vision and a promise of blessing for you. And the promise of blessing for you is very, very powerful. Let me just walk through Malachi 3. Here's the promises of blessing for you. He says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. <laughs> I will open the windows of heaven for you. I mean, the language is so stunning. I will pour down a blessing until you have no more need. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. So you're not pulling it out of the earth, the blessings of God. He is pouring it down upon your head. Can you see the image? You are not pulling it out of ground that is yielding bad crops. You're not digging and pulling. And I think that's the problem that we find ourselves in is you think to get to the blessed life, you got to keep digging and sowing and planting and digging in the ground. It's just, you're in a drought and there's nothing to grow. You're not pulling blessings out of the earth. Can I just encourage you? Some of you are in a season with your kids and you need to be told that the blessing that's coming for your family will not be pulled out of the earth. It comes showering down from above. Can I encourage you with that? Because you feel like, where's the yield? Where's the yield? I've been there. I've been there in my parenting. I've been there in areas of my life that needed work, that God needed to grow or change. And I have worked and worked and I'm not seeing the results as quick as I would like. And I'm in the dirt and I'm in the dirt and I just stay true to God. And I just finally say, I'm not going to be able to do this. God, you're going to have to do it. Now I keep working and I keep plowing, but I'm looking up. And what am I looking for? The rain that creates the yield. You can put as many seeds in the ground, but if you have no Holy Spirit power in your life, this is the difference between the Christianity you think is real and the one that you're going to discover at this church that we believe you are nothing without the power of God. 
that this is not a morality first kind of church. This is not a place where you pull yourself up, that you show yourself and look at what a good Christian is. No, no, no. This is not you working your way to God. God works his way to you and every good gift that comes to you comes from above, from the father of lights, James says. So I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour down a blessing until no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you. I already preached that. And all the nations will call you blessed. You will be a land of delight. And as you read it, and I really do hope you read it this week, as you read it, listen, it's like God is begging us. It's like God is begging us to be blessed. Is that what you think about when you think of God? The God who is begging you to be blessed. Like, do you ever feel that way with your kids? You're like, you see where they can be, but you see them self-sabotaging and you're just begging them. Listen, you would do well. You would, you're going to be okay. You're going to meet the one. You're going to find the husband. You're going to find the wife. And you're pleading for them in a picture that you can see because you love them. You have experience, you have a bigger, bigger view, and all they can see is what's right here. All they can see is the chatter among the friends. All they can see is the dysfunction. All they can see is the hurt that they're feeling right there. And you're, you're casting a bigger vision, and it's, you're not la, la, la. You really do see a bigger vision for them. And you're pleading with them to be blessed. Anybody connect with me on that? That you plead with your kids to be blessed. Like, if you'll just, then, Boom. There's at least 25 scriptures that I just was able to find of if then, if then, if then, if then. It's not hard. If then. And here he's saying, first, I want to kick off with the then. Let's give a vision. Do you want to live a life that is blessed? It's like he's begging, pleading. Well, how's it happen? Obedience unlocks overwhelming blessing. Okay. Obedience unlocks overwhelming blessing. Last week, uh, or two weeks ago, last week we had an awesome, awesome guest uh, with Pace Hartfeld, really blessed, blessed us so much. Two weeks ago, I did a message on biblical worldview. And boy, you guys, I mean, the response to that message, I love it because we're hungry for truth, Right? We're hungry in a world that feels like there is no truth. We're hungry to put our foot in the ground and say we have truth. That truth is not something you make up. And the response has been incredible. I mean, just overwhelming. And, and I love that because we're a church that takes sin seriously, right? We take sin seriously. And I believe that message of take sin seriously resonated so deeply inside of us because we see a world that is not taking sin seriously. That which was up is now down. That which is down is now up. That which was sin is now called, is to be celebrated. And you love to be a part of a church that says we believe in the word of a God. We take sin seriously. But I want to add to that. We take sin seriously, but at this church, we take obedience seriously as well. We take obedience seriously. You see, to take sin seriously, sometimes you can fall into the trap of, I am celebrating and I am clapping the things I'm against. And that's okay. That's good. You need to do that. You need to at least hit the bar of, I know I'm not that because the Bible says I'm not that. I know not there because the Bible says not there. And it's important to 
celebrate, hey, we take sin seriously and that's what I'm against. But is that where you stop? You can clap all these sins over there that you're not directly tempted by. What about your own life? Do you take obedience seriously for yourself? Obedience for yourself. Take sin seriously, yes. Take obedience seriously as well. Because see, obedience is when the claps are gone and you've got to do the work. Obedience is challenging. Obedience is leg day at the gym. You know, I'm one of those dudes. I basically work out from the, from the belly up. That's me. Can't y'all tell? I'm like, leg day? What's leg day? But truthfully, I'm not kidding. Um, I don't like leg day, so I just kind of stopped doing it. You know, the problem with that is, here's the problem. You, you ready for this? This is just self-disclosure. I, I hurt my back a few weeks ago, like significantly. I was being dumb hero dad, and I was trying to move. We, we bought this dining room table at this uh, secondhand store. You know what I'm saying? We found the deal. And it's so heavy. And now I know why they just wanted to get rid of it. <laughs> so heavy. Well, Beck was gone. He's my, he's my muscles now. You saw Beck lead in worship. He's he's big old boy now. He's big old boy. He works out all the time. He's taking protein shakes, all that. <laughs> and, uh, but he was nowhere to be found. And so I was like, I can do it. I can do it. This big, huge dining room table. And so I'm working it out where I could get it on a dolly. I'm just convinced if I could get one side on a dolly, then with the other side, I could lift and I could navigate it. Okay. So I'm sitting there and I, I recruited Susan. <laughs> I recruited Susan to come on over and I was going to lift and she was just going to slide the dolly under. Okay. And I had forgotten how heavy this stinking thing was. Okay. So I went over, she said, this is not a good idea. I was like, I can do it. This is not a good idea. Anybody been there? I was convinced I could do it. Like I was, I'm, I was just hero dad. I was convinced I could do it. I knew I could do it. And I had done it with other pieces of furniture too. That made it worse as I, I had demonstrated I could do it a little bit. And so I lifted and, and I put it down. I lifted like that far off the ground. And I was like, come on, man. And I had bad posture. And at some point I felt my back go, wow. And it was over. And for weeks now I've been in physical therapy and I even preached. That was on a Saturday. I preached that Sunday. And maybe I'll be like, man, I've never seen Brandon like walk around like this before. He's feeling pretty cocky today. No, I was in pain, <laughs> serious pain. That's like four, three, four weeks ago. And um, here's what I've learned. Y'all want to get back to Malachi 3. Uh, here, here's what I've learned. Here's what I learned. Seriously, here's what I learned. I learned that I had neglected this part of my body and I was not healthy. You know, I was not balanced. I wasn't flexible. I wasn't strong where I needed to be strong at the young age of 35. Um, I'm not 35, y'all. Just throw that out there. And so what have they been doing? They've been teaching me exercises for my whole body. Well, today is leg day. And, and it's important because we've got to be healthy. 
Um, obedience is what unlocks overwhelming blessing. That's what leg day is. So, so let's hear from the word of God. The if you will, then you will, he will rebuke the devourer. Then I'll open the, the gates of heaven, windows of heaven for you. Verse seven, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? See the attitude? God says, will, a, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He responds, and your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's where he wants it. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. There are three obedience challenges in the book of Malachi. Chapter one, really, really four, but chapter one for the people of Israel, they had given bad offerings. So they were giving offerings, but they were blind, broken, or diseased. In other words, they gave what they couldn't sell. They gave that to the Lord. So, so, So God got their worst. That was number one, mess up. Number two, they were divorcing their wives so that they could go marry other girls. They were divorcing their wives with an eye to go uh, marry someone else that had caught their eye. And he went hard in the paint on that one. And then here we are, number three, and it's on this one that he gives all the promises And in chapter three, he says in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, it's important that we talk about this because God thinks it's important that we talk about this. Did you know there's 500 scriptures on prayer? There's just under 500 scriptures on faith. But when it comes to money and possessions, there's over 2,000 verses on money and possessions in the Bible. Jesus himself, 16 out of his 38 parables were involved money and possessions. So you think God is understanding that we need to be healthy in this area for us to be whole, for us to be right. And yet there is a call. Why do we keep talking about this? Why do we talk about this? Why? Okay, it's a giving talk. It's a giving series. I guess we need to find our way uh, on vacation for four weeks. But God here is saying all over the Bible, over 2,000 scriptures, we need this. And today we're going to learn why. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. If you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, blessings, 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 blessings. If, then. So what is the tithe? What is the tithe? The tithe is, that word tithe is not in your life. I guarantee you. You don't sit there at work and say, uh, uh, hey, did you uh, bring in the tithe? There's no language. This is biblical language. And the word tithe means 10th. So where'd you get 10%? It's literally the word, bring the full tithe. He is saying, bring the full 10% of what you make to what the temple at that time today would be called the church. Bring the full 10 to the church. Bring the full 10 to the place where you worship God. Bring the full 10% to the place where you sacrifice. Bring the full 10%. 
So it's the 10%. What is the tithe? The, the tithe is the first and the best of what you make. It's the first and the best of what you make. Remember I said in chapter one, they were bringing not the first and the best, they were bringing the last and the worst. They were bringing the runt of the litter, they were bringing what they could afford, they were bringing the last and the worst. They were bringing cold leftovers to God that none of the kids wanted to eat. You made this meal, they hated it, you know it's about to go bad, so boom, I'll serve it, serve it to Brandon. <laughs> Brandon. Brandon and Susan are coming over. We're going to give them that meal. Maybe they'll like it. If you come over to our house, you're not getting cold leftovers that everybody else didn't want. But they were bringing diseased, blind, and broken sacrifices. They could not sell it. They couldn't live off of it. They couldn't eat it. Might as well give it to God. There's basically three ways of giving. The first is I give. That's not 10%, but I give. Maybe today you'd say, I want to give today. So you just give out of a sense of, I don't know, what do I want to give? And you just think about it and you give to God. You give. There's an act of I let go of something and I dropped it on you. That's giving. Tithing is up from giving. Tithing is saying the first 10%, before I ever get to the rest of the 90, the first 10% I give to God. Um, why the first? Because God loves patterns. God is a consistent God. God is an organized God. God is a rhythmic God. And, and God showed us what the tithe looks like when we in the garden had taken a bite of the for, forbidden fruit. God, the Bible says, gave. And what did he give? He gave his firstborn son, the Bible calls him. It stumbles over. There's no more sons, right? So why does he call him the firstborn son? because he is the only son, but he is the firstborn son of God because he is stumbling over himself, going extra mile to show us about what it looks like to give us the first, the best. Back in that day, all over the Old Testament, they would say of the tithe, they taught the tithe in the Torah, they taught the tithe. And when they taught the tithe, they'd say, bring the first fruits of your crops, bring the firstborn of your animals. And it was very clear over and over again, bring the first, bring the first, bring the first, bring the first. Why? Because when it's a firstborn son, when it, not a son, they weren't sacrificing people. When it's the firstborn sheep, lamb, firstborn, there's no guarantee of more. So you're entering into a faith moment with God where you're saying, God, I am bringing the first and I haven't already made all the rest. I'm bringing you the first as a faith proposition. The first and the best. I'm gonna give you God the most prized. I'm gonna give you that. And so when, when we get paid, when, when, I, when I get paid, I give God the first and the best. Before I cut my mortgage check, I give God the first and the best. This is a pattern of our life since the day we got married and before that in my own life, this is the way I was raised to be transparent. And I think it's a powerful thing to raise our kids this way. We're teaching our kids this as they get jobs that give God the first and the, bless, the best, give them the first and the best and you will be blessed. So that is what the tithe is. It's the first and it's the best. Malachi chapter one, verse six, but you say, how have we despised your name? Again, attitude 
How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. And then verse eight, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? They were giving the government a better gift than they were giving God. And often that's exactly what we do. At the end of the month, we say, okay, well, I've had fun. I've spent money. I've gone on a trip. I've done this and that and the other. What do I have left in my budget? Let's give that to God. That's leftovers. As opposed to, in our family, even early on, I mean, we're starting Keystone Church and it is tough. It's tough. That's a story for another day. But we went out on total faith. I looked at Susan and I said, if I have to deliver pizzas to make this thing happen, I'll deliver pizzas. Isn't that a funny can you imagine me in the food business? Not a good picture. But Susan said to me, you will not deliver pizzas. I said, amen, speak to me. Give me a prophetic word. She said, you'll probably work at like Banana Republic, something like that. That's, where, that's how Keystone was started right there. She's, you know, giving it to me. But, um, but the truth is in those early days, we would prioritize God and, we, and knowing it would reduce other decisions. It would change other decisions in our personal life, but we prioritize God. And it's amazing how just blessings began to spring up. Many of you have that story as well. I see you nodding right now because you have those stories as well. A quick question. Um, is this a man-made thing or is it a God thing? It's a God thing. This promise is for them then, and it is for us now. Okay. It's all over the old Testament. What about the New Testament? Matthew 23, 23, the Bible says, and this is Jesus talking, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe. Even, this is Jesus talking about the tithe. You religious people are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So this is really interesting. So what he's saying is to those people that are in the rhythm of tithing, you're in the rhythm of tithing, it becomes a part of your life. It becomes a part of your life. And it doesn't become this stumbling block, maybe that it might be at the beginning of this rhythm. And he's saying, you guys have gotten really good at tithing. But see, tithing, according to Jesus, is not the mega super Olympics of biblical obedience. He's saying, you're tithing on the tiniest bit and you're ignoring love your neighbor. And that's a bigger commandment than even tithing. In other words, tithing shouldn't be so hard and this, oh, this tough it is a first step of following Jesus that you quickly mature into the place where it's a rhythm of your life. But we understand it can be tough at first, for sure. Uh, but is this something that was in the Old Testament? Now is it in the New Testament? Well, here, what did Jesus say? He said, you are careful to tithe. And then he was careful to say, and you should. And you should. What about the Apostle Paul? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 16, he said, on the first day of every week, so first, here we go, say the word first. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, again, Malachi 3, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What is he, he's modeling in the New Testament among the churches there, a rhythm and a proportionate giving and a rhythm of giving the first and the best. Now, the Apostle Paul, 
I studied this. The Apostle Paul, he doesn't use the word tithe. He kind of combines the tithes and offerings into one big giving heart. And, and, and some of you, if you've only read Paul, you'd say, well, he, Paul didn't talk about the tithes, so we shouldn't tithe. Let me explain. And you may even say this. Um, I'm not under the law anymore, so the, the tithe was in the law, kind of like the dietary laws, you know? We're free from the dietary laws, we're free from the tithe. And let me give you an illustration of why that's bad thinking if you don't want to tithe. Um, let's say I was in marriage counseling and we were kind of doing better and the counselor said, I want you to kiss your wife, Brandon, once a week. And when we meet again next week, I'm, I'm gonna ask you, did, did y'all kiss this week? And you meet week after week and you say, no, we didn't kiss this week. Okay, we'll kiss her next week. And then you get to the place where every week the answer is yes. Yes, I kissed her this week. Yes, I kissed her this week. Yes, I kissed her this week. And you come back and one day your counselor says, you know, you guys have made incredible progress. I'm no longer going to ask you about the kissing rule. I'm no longer going to ask you. Now, dumb as a rock guy, are you going to then say, woohoo, I'm free to not kiss her once a week. I get to now go to once a month and have a good marriage. You see that you're missing it. He was giving you the law so that you would catch the heart. He was giving you the law, the rule to help you, to get you going, to break bad patterns so that you were then free to do it willfully with your own heart. And that's what Paul's getting into. He's saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to go after your heart. We all know the law to the people he would be talking to. We know the law, we get the 10th, but I want your heart. And your heart shouldn't be, what's the least I can give my God? It'd be like saying, what's the least amount of affection I can give my wife and stay married? Our heart should be, I love my wife. I want to show her the love that she is due. I want to honor her. I want to love her. So our hearts should be about God, not what's the least I can do. And there's two, two people I want to encourage today. I want to challenge you and encourage you today. Those that feel like that I don't make enough to tithe first. I don't make enough to tithe. Can I challenge you? Just try God. See what happens. Try God. Many of us have been there. I don't know how we did it. I don't know how we made it, but I stayed faithful to God and I gave and look what God did. And for some of us, that may mean a supernatural. There's kind of two ways you do that. A supernatural, I'm all in God. I'm gonna tithe and I'm, I'm just, I'm leaning on you and you jump into the pool. That's the pattern that I have taken in my life. Whenever I was making so little, I wondered, Right? Others of you, you may decide before the Lord, I'm gonna commit to a journey of building up. It's gonna be 5%, then it's gonna be 7%, then it's and you're building up, but you're doing it as you walk with the Lord. I'm not gonna tell you which to do, whether it's the ramp up or the dive into the pool. You pray, I believe God will tell you what to do. Kind of just, that, that's what I would encourage you to do. But there's a second person, and that's the other person that would say, I make too much to tithe to the Lord. There's one that says, I make too little to tithe to the Lord. It's easy to talk there, right? But how about, you know, I, I, make, I make a lot of money and man, I'm, I'm just not sure it should all go there. Here's what I'd say. If you are not tithing, no matter how much money you make and you're giving, you are giving and we celebrate your giving. We do. But I want to call you to God's standard, 
of bring the full tithe to God's house. I can promise you this. I can promise you this. We have yet to receive the tithe that was bigger than the vision we have for this church. We have yet to receive the gift that has even come close to the vision that God has for this church. Let me take it one step. I hadn't planned on saying this, but I'm a student of church. I geek out on church. I love talking to other pastors and I want to share with you this, that great churches have miracle stories that unlocked a future for that church because somebody said, I have not made too much to give to the local church. And buildings were paid off like that. And can you imagine what happens when all of those resources are off of buildings, which is a God-given vision? We'll pay that mortgage. Trust me, we're paying the mortgage. And I'm grateful for a church where we are thriving. Can I just say that right now? This isn't a series because we're, we're, we're not house poor. We're thriving at Keystone. Okay? Giving is up. All right? Isn't that great? Just in case you're wondering, uh, this is from a position of obedience, not desperate need. Can I just encourage you? Um, this is about you being healthy, not, boy, I tell you what, if something doesn't happen, we're in trouble. No, that's not our journey. This is a great church. But I believe that when people who think they're not making enough or aren't making enough begin to give, it's like the widow's might in the offering, God multiplies it. God multiplies that obedience because it's not about the dollars for God, it's about the heart. I also believe God's raising up people to do extraordinary things financially that it can unlock a giving in the church and a ministry of the church that you can't even imagine what God could do through this church. You wanna talk about what we've done up till now? Begin to dream about what God could do if everybody was leaning in with the same heart. And there's a model for that. I've mentioned the, the widow's might. You have Paul, he go into a church and, and he's careful to talk about the woman in purple that helped him start the church. She was super wealthy. Careful to point out Zacchaeus who opened up his pocketbook and gave and gave and gave. Poor, rich, it's not about the zeros. It's about the heart. So where are we today? Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 16, 10, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large things. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. Devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I'll finish with this. Throughout the book of Malachi, you'll read about the remnant. There's those that are just going to disobey God and they're just going to do their thing. But he begins to talk about the remnant, the remnant, the remnant. Can I tell you, Keystone Church, we are a church that is the remnant. We are those that bow our back. We are those that walk in. We are those that rise to the challenge. And I'm excited to be a part of a church that says, God, wherever you say go, I go. Wherever you say jump, I jump. 
You say jump, I say how high, God, and I'm excited to be a part of a church that believes in full obedience. Can we celebrate who God is and what he's done in this church? So beautiful, so beautiful. So let's pray together. Father, I pray for obedience to be unlocked, and I I pray truly today, God, that somebody's heart is really beating right now. Somebody's heart is beating, and they're saying, I'm gonna trust God right now. I'm leaning in, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. And you're nervous and you're scared. And I pray you never, I pray God that they would never, ever forget the feeling they have right now on the front end of obeying you. The adrenaline of getting on that ride. Father, I pray for obedience to be unlocked in this church. Giving and tithing to be a part of the DNA and the character of this church. What could, be, what could be done with the young generation? What could happen in marriages? How many more addictions could be broken? How would you expand the ministry of this church? We're believing for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about Keystone Church, please visit us at keystonechurch.com.